You are now listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. This is your host, Joseph Lappin. I am here and lucky to be here with Rick Moody. Rick Moody was born in New York City. He attended Brown and Columbia Universities. He is the author of five previous novels, The Four Fingers of Death, The Diviners, Purple America, The Ice Storm, and Garden State, as well as my personal favorite, The Albertine Notes. As well as an award-winning memoir, The Black Veil, the essay collection on celestial music, and multiple collections of short fiction, including demonology. Moody is a recipient of a Guggenheim Fellowship, and his latest work is Hotels of North America. Rick, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. Great. So when I look at your work, and I want to know about your creative journey, what do you most identify with growing up, New York City or Manchester, New Hampshire? Well... You know, I was only really in New Hampshire in uh, high school. Um, when I was a little kid, we were in the Connecticut suburbs, and my dad worked in New York. Uh, and I quickly felt, early on even, I felt that the suburbs were sort of stultifying in a way and not. There was just something that was going on there that was about suppressive heterogeneity homogeneity of culture and Mm -hmm. so on and so the fact that my dad worked in new york and we got to go into new york occasionally my grandfather was a newspaper guy in new york i felt like new york was the magnetic center of the world from where we were and by the time i was away at school um I wanted to spend all the vacations and and, uh, all the time off that I could get in the city. I felt like the city was where it was happening. This was in the 70s. So, you know, punk rock, East Village art scene, all that kind of stuff. Those were a really powerful draw to me between 1979 and 1983 or four. I wanted to be in the city where that stuff was happening. What about punk rock and drew you, especially coming from the way you talk about the suburbs? What did punk rock do for you and inspire you? Well, I mean, it had the, it had the veneer of revolution about it, you know, and it's an overused word and, and often a word that's sort of bandied about without any real follow through. But, uh, to me, on both sides of the Atlantic, if you sort of took the aggregate of punk rock, it seemed like it laid waste to a lot of hypocrisies from before mm-hmm. and, um, you know, articulated a vision on how such a thing might be done. And uh, so it felt revolutionary to me. It was against a lot of the things that I felt um, constrained by. So when your dad would go into New York City, was he going there for work or was he yeah. going there? What, what kind of work was he in? I mean, he was in finance. So there was a lot to be against from my point of view. I was against his whole thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I love him and we're really good friends now, but that's how I felt about it then. As he said to me recently at his 80th birthday party, you were a very bad teenager. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I, when I have these interviews with everyone, because we're about exploring the creative journey, there's always that moment of usually that someone recognizes that they're an outsider, that this creative journey they're on was about that recognition. And it sounds like we're kind of on the cusp of that, but was there a moment for you 
where you felt like, oh, I am an outsider. I am a creative. This is a part of my journey. You know, my experience as a, as a youngster was of having powerful, powerful desires to create and deep frustration at how I was going to undertake to do that. I remember, for example, this must have been when I was six or seven, even, uh, Halloween was rolling around one year, which was always my very favorite holiday and, uh, feeling like I wanted to paint something to describe what I felt about Halloween, you know, and not just like kids wearing costumes, you know, but a deep sort of, um, emotional engagement with the subliminal layers of Halloween. I felt all this and I wanted to make something and I sat down and I got a pen and I started trying to draw something that would represent this. And I had this terrible frustration at my technical inability, you know? So that was from the youngest age that I felt that way. Uh, I started writing about 11 or 12 and what were you writing at 11 or 12? I started a novel at 11. I didn't get very far, but I started, I had two. In fact, one was about, one was a, a modern retelling of the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> and the other was about a, a 11 year old kid who becomes vice president of the United States through the use of prosthetic limbs. Wow. I think I've been watching a lot of like, uh, six million dollar man or something mm -hmm. so prosthetic limbs were on my mind but anyway so i i started these two books neither of them got very far but they were an indication that books were already really important to me so i was already thinking about how it might be done you know and then by the time i was 16 or 17 i was writing you know full-length short stories and stuff so you knew from early on that this is what i wanted you felt this yearning but then reality probably sits in like how do i make this a part of my life how do i build a life what were some of the roadblocks along the way for you to take that desire to the next level i mean if the next level means how could i conceive that you might do this as a career that really took a long time for me to feel um you know certainty about that. I felt doubt most of the time, even after the first couple of books, I felt doubt. I sort of thought, and I still feel that for me, the creative thing is very much bound up with being a reader and a consumer of the arts. Like, you know, I read, I read about music a lot. I'm fanatically engaged with music. It's just something that I'm very, very interested in. And you know, the same is true with literature for me. Um, so when I began making my own stories and stuff, it was just out of, you know, a longing to be on the bookshelf with those other guys. But I, I had grave anxiety about whether or not one could actually do it for a career, you know? So I went to grad school. That's one thing you can do, but really, uh, it was just about continuing to put in the work of making the stuff day after day. And at some point, um, it became obvious that that commitment to craft was enough, 
You know, I made a bunch of manuscripts and some of them got sold, but I still think now that the goal is to be the craftsman rather than be focused on the career piece of it. Like the creative, the, the part of the journey that's only about the creativity. That's the part that I love. I really don't care. I'm lucky because here I am. I'm on book tour. I get interviewed today. I'm at the Miami book fair. That's all great. But if I don't continue to be, you know, engaged by the waking up and writing a paragraph and trying to make it good, um, that other stuff's not going to continue to stick. Gotcha. Yeah. So now we're at Hotels of North America. Let's talk about how you came to this concept of, you know, telling a story through reviews on rateyourlodgings.com. What was the premise and how did you come to that? I was trying to write a more conventional novel in 2009. Oh. I had sort of like a, you know, rugged individualist struggles against the system classic novel that I was going to try to write traditional novel. And I wrote 250 pages of it. And then I just woke up one day and I thought, I don't have any commitment with regard to this project. You, know? you threw it away? I threw it away. What was that like? Well, I couldn't have done it if I didn't come up with another really good <laughs> idea first. <laughs> and it went like this. My wife's photographer, she travels a lot for work and we were in Norway mm -hmm. uh, for her stuff and staying in a really bad hotel, really bad. What was bad about it? Oh my God, it was bad in every way. It was, you know, surly customer service. Mm -hmm. Breakfast was a ham sandwich and I'm vegetarian. Uh, the bathroom yeah. was like a mildew forest mm -hmm. and, you know, there was nothing on the wall. And then worst of all, the, um, you know, World Cup football sports bar attached to the hotel on the weekends was a, a house music thing. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, that you could hear in your room, yeah. you know, all yeah. night, you know, yeah. that four on the floor thing. So we were going insane and not sleeping. And, and uh, my wife said to me, why don't we review this hotel? And it had never occurred to me. Cause I never read those online reviews mainly, mainly cause I didn't want to read, you know, Amazon reviews about me. Mm -hmm. And I threw out all the rest with, mm -hmm. with that. But I thought, Hey, maybe I'll feel better if I write this review. So I wrote a, you know, mind bending screed of hate about the hotel in Norway and didn't post it. Oh, I didn't post it, but I felt better. And then I thought, why shouldn't I make a novel out of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about structurally? What did that offer you? Because the thing when I read this book is that if it's so well held together, obviously, but it jumps around time. What about the review structure allows you to play with time, which as you've done in Albertine notes, you do that as well. What about this structurally interested you? Well, I mean, chronology is the simplest of all plot uh, orientations, but it's not suggestive of consciousness as it happens you know we live life chronologically but i don't think we feel life chronologically what do you mean by that i mean even as i'm sitting here right now here we are you know 2015 i've already doubled back and told you about my dad's work in new york city and i told you about punk rock and so you know life as i try to capture it in words 
is all over the chronological map. It's not staying in this um, uh, rigid fourth dimensional birth to death orientation. So with that said, why don't we do that then? Why don't we go to another time then? What is another hotel that you're thinking of right now as we're talking that you remember a vivid hotel? Well, one that got cut from the book uh, was Moody's Cabins of uh, Waldeboro, Maine, which I didn't put in the book because it was too much of an in-joke, but there is a place called Moody's Cabins. Wow. It's attached to Moody's Diner on yeah. Route 1. And uh, I stayed there with my dad when when I was writing The Black Veil, my memoir. And uh, it was god-awful. They were like these little cabins where the, you know, the double bed had about one foot around it on each side for you to walk around in the room. And the TV was like a little box with a rabbit ear yeah. on the top. And, and it kind of smelled like, um, Febreze, you know, <laughs> uh, but it was a moody thing, Yeah, you know? So we toughed it out. So we're talking about the creative process. We're moving around in time. What did that have to do with your creative process when you're writing your memoir? Um, I mean, with the memoir, I tried a little bit to be linear, but there were sort of interchapters where I allowed myself to really go off and talk mm -hmm. about other stuff. It was actually called a memoir with digressions because I wanted to allow that um, play and improvisation to be part of the process. That's what subjectivity is. You know, if we weren't on the podcast and I just let you talk we would get to the point where your way of thinking would be more associative and impressionistic. Mm -hmm. That's how consciousness feels. But it's hard to structure, right? Yeah, it's hard. And in this case, it's a, it's a balancing act between uh, actually reviewing the hotel and Reg Morris telling you his life story. Mm -hmm. So I have two obligations in every little chapter lit. I have to do both those things. And I wanted it to just sort of teeter, you know, mm -hmm. like walking on a wire a little bit, you know. Um, and to that degree, even though it's out of chronological order, I wanted it to have a sort of a an emotional arc to it. You know? certainly, certainly, you, I certainly feel it. I certainly felt a lot of emotion, too, when he, Reginald says, Worcester, where I grew up, is uh, the saddest city in America. What did Reginald mean by Worcester being the saddest city in America? Well, it's maybe a little shout out to my good friend, Nick Flynn. Oh, he's it. next. He's yeah. next. I'm going to tell him I said hi. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I think all the Northeastern cities are really sad or many of them. Yeah. Springfield, maybe even worse than Worcester. Yeah. Hartford, mm -hmm. you know, the cities in my state, Hartford, Waterbury, New Haven, mm -hmm. The northeastern cities are are just in a really dead. Well, there are a lot place. of sad cities in this book too, yeah. right? Yeah. How, what is that about going to these places and seeing something that maybe most people don't see in these cities or want to even go? Why why go there in this book? Well, I guess it's an effect of writing about hotels. You know, the book's about hotels because hotels are sort of a liminal spot between home and work, let's say. That's actually right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, everybody stays in them. 
everybody's been in a hotel, you know, and everybody has a little life story of their hotel journey. You mm-hmm. know, I happen to have been on a lot of them because my work, my wife's work require that we do so, but everybody does that. And while they're there, they're all in some kind of state of abject longing to be elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I had this quote that I love. It is a job. This is from Reginald. It's the job of the hotel, the inn, the motel, the furnished room to suggest the possibility of home or serve as a way to station for home, preparing you for that return, lightening the ro- the load as long as you must be away. And just kind of end the podcast here, you know, talk about that tension for Reginald here and maybe even in your own career as a writer, as you're traveling of that hotel and that home and that quest for that. I mean, the truth is, although I have to travel a lot, I don't really like doing it, you know, and I feel like uh, when I left to go on book tour, my wife sobbed, you know, she was at the door sobbing because I was going and uh, I don't really like to do it very much. And so for me to go out and sort of overcome my um, native resistance to doing it in the first place. It, it takes a lot, you know, the bad cities in a way are metaphors for how I experience the siege of having to leave the house and go out and do all this stuff. It's always, um, some kind of reckoning an oppression that I have to reckon with to go and stay in the hotels. Like even here in Marriott Biscayne Bay, you know, it's like a struggle for me to actually want to be here and do this. What star, how many stars would you give the Marriott? I'm reviewing every hotel that I stay in on tour. So I'm going to review this one. I mean, I don't allow myself fractions, so I'll probably give it a three, but it should have a two and a half. <laughs> and this is on rate your, you've actually created rate your lodgings.com. Yeah, I have. Okay, great. So you can see the review there. Uh, thank you so much, Rick, for being here. This is wonderful. A real pleasure. Uh, you are no longer listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. <laughs>